1912, Ford Motor Company had a production manager by the name of William Knudsen, considered to be one of the best in his field. Knudsen became convinced that the Model T, which has now been in production about four years, needed to be updated, needed to be, needed to be just tweaked a little. One problem, Henry Ford. See, Henry Ford was proud of his Model T. So proud, in fact, I've heard quotes that he would say, you can get the Model T in any color, color you want, as long as it's black. And he was very proud of his creation, and rightfully so, it was great. But Knudsen thought, you know what, if I can't convince him on the front end, I'm going to just go ahead and tweak it, go ahead and make some upgrades while he's gone. So Ford was gone on a European vacation, and Knudsen got to work. He put together a, a four-door job that put this top down, painted it a gleaming red, built it on a new, low-slung version of the Model T. Well, Ford comes back from his European vacation, and mechanics on site reported what he did. They say he, uh, he walked around the car with his hands in his pockets, not saying anything, walked around it several times looking at it, got over to the left side of it, grabbed the door, took his hands out of the pockets, grabbed the door, and no one knows how he did it, but he just yanked the door off. He got in, kicked out the other door, kicked out the windshield, scraped up every bit that he could, physically abusing this car. Well, needless to say, Knudsen left. He, uh, he left for General Motors that year. Henry Ford nursed along the Model T as long as he could, but upgrades and modifications in, in the competitors forced him that, to finally make an upgrade in his Model T. And really... It was probably more old-fashioned than he would like to admit at that point. But he, he put together the Model A, but his heart was never in it. He wanted uh, to continue with that Model T. Henry Ford was one of the most creative men uh, of that age. But he had a problem. He resisted the obvious need for change. Sometimes change is needed. Sometimes that is what it takes. Times change. People change. But change isn't always easy especially whenever it's your baby going into it. Or maybe, maybe change is hard whenever you know God has talked to you on a certain level. God had, talk, had spoke to the Israelites and had warranted this special relationship with them that they might be His people, His witnesses to the world, His missionaries, whatever it may be. This, God entrusted him, or this people with His Word so that they could tell the rest of the world who God is, what He's about, that He exists, how to worship Him. But somewhere along the way, the Jews, the Jews had forgotten that purpose. The Jews had come to the realization that they were the ones, not only that God had a relationship with, but the only ones God was going to have a relationship with. They had forgotten, and instead of proclaiming God, they'd created barriers between themselves and others. They had come to believe that salvation was just not of the Jews, meaning that Christ was coming from the Jews to bless the world, but salvation was for the Jews, for the Jews alone. It was in such a world that this, the church was born. This world of understanding that salvation was for the Jews. And that's all it needed to be. The church came into that. The Apostle Peter, a good Jew, 
had been taught not to have anything to do with Gentiles. Nothing at all to do with Gentiles. If he even touched one accidentally, he'd have to go home and wash right there. I also understand that there are, there are many of the Jews that would have these, these huge pools that would be either in a community use or whatever, that if they bought like a big piece of furniture from a Gentile, they could wash it in this pool before bringing it into their home so their home would not be defiled by a Gentile piece of furniture. It is easy to see with that with this attitude if it was carried over into the church, it would be hard to extend the borders of this kingdom to the uttermost parts of the, of the world as Christ said at the end of Matthew. Because all Gentile believers would be without Christ if this was to keep up. Now let's, let's backtrack a little bit and see where the church is at this point as we come into our scripture in Acts 10. The church, when it started, had an amazing start. Tongues of fire from the Holy Spirit came and sat upon the apostles and they all began speaking in different languages. That impressed that Jewish world and 3,000 were added that day. More keep on coming and the devil is trying to stop this movement. He's trying to stop this movement of church through church conflict about the, uh, Gent- uh, the, the Greek women, the Greek widows and the Jewish widows on their allotment of food. He tries to bring in that, tries to bring in some persecution, and then finally martyred them through Stephen. But nothing seems to be thwarting the growth of this church. It just keeps on growing. There was a problem, because at this point, the whole church was consistently and only made up of Jews. Only Jews were Christians at this point. That sounds kind of weird in our ears now, but that's how it was during this time. But if you recall, Peter over the past chapter or two, had been following the Holy Spirit, Spirit's guidance around that area. Wherever the Holy Spirit was leading, Peter was following and helping people along the way. And as we enter into Acts 10, he finds himself in, in Joppa at the house of Simon the Tanner. Through this process, God has been working on Peter to try to break down some of his prejudice that he had. But at the same time, he was drawing another man toward himself toward God, and ultimately toward Peter. Let's read in Acts 10, verse 1. In Caesarea there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, and was, and was everyone, in his, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said, Cornelius stared up at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. And the angel replied, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants. He told them what had happened and sent them off to Joppa. Cornelius was a military man. He's a captain of a regiment that was made up explicitly of Italian soldiers. Now, this meant several things, uh, but one, just as a, uh, as a centurion, he was in charge of at least 100 men, if not up to 500. But that is an Italian regiment in one of the cities uh, that housed uh, one of the delegation from Rome. He was probably a very high-up official. And in fact, the text language says he was in charge of a cohort which means that he was 
of the highest rank of centurion, having as many as 500 under, under his command. Cornelius, though, was more than just a commander and a soldier. Cornelius was a godly man, as the text says. He said that he was devout, that he was seeking God. He knew there was a God, and he feared God. And he lived life as he was accountable to God. He, the text also says he was a generous man. He gave to those in need. And we are told as well that he's a praying man. Here's a man that is religious, sincere, prayerful, generous, but yet is not saved. I believe there are still many today who think that all it takes to get to heaven is to lead a good life, be religious, be sincere. But Cornelius' position really states otherwise, that there are good people in this world that are still not saved. Cornelius was a great man, but he was missing something. The angel appears to Cornelius, tells him to send down to Joppa for a man named Peter, who was staying at the house of Simon the Tanner. You know, Cornelius' story, real fast, also kind of answers the question many of us ask. What about the man who has never heard about Jesus Christ? You know, you've heard that argument. What about... What about those natives in Africa or wherever they may be in this world that have never heard of Jesus Christ? Will they go to hell too? Well, with Cornelius, at this point, he hadn't heard of Jesus Christ. He had feared God, and he had lived to this light that he understood, and this light that he had, but the light wasn't complete. And I think the answer to that question, the question of, what will happen to them is that if they're living to the light that they have, God will see fit to send more light. As he does in Cornelius' case, he says, send to Joppa for a man named Peter. Bring him. He'll tell you more. God was looking out for those who look out for him. And it's not some selfish idea. It's that God, was, God wants people that are seeking him, that are searching for him. Someone asked Charles Spurgeon, a famous preacher of the 19th century, if the heathen could be saved if they did not hear the gospel. Well, Spurgeon's wise reply was, can we be saved if we do not deliver the gospel? Let's continue on, Acts 10, verse 9. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to, to pray. It was about noon, and he was very hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles and birds. Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared. I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure or unclean. But the voice spoke again, Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times, and the sheet was suddenly pulled up out of heaven. The vision was a sheet lowered from heaven with various kinds of animals. God tells Peter, kill and eat. Pretty direct command. Seems like when God speaks, you ought to listen and that you ought to obey, but Peter's response here is, no, Lord. I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure or unclean. I think Peter was proud of the fact that he had never done this particular atrocity. Can you hear that? I have never, Lord, I have never done that. 
Why, why would you ask me now? You know, I think sometimes we find ourselves, defi- we define ourselves by the things we do not do. You ever realize that? You know, it's not wrong to not do particular things. In fact, I would say that is probably right, but it is wrong to define our spirituality based on the things that we refrain from doing. That there's so much more. We joke and say, I don't drink, I don't swear, I don't smoke, I don't chew, and I don't go with girls that do. You've heard that before, right? We may joke with that, but the truth is the world is not impressed by that. The world's not impressed by things that we don't do. What non-Christians are looking for is what Christians are able to do. It's that life uh, that in the, in the midst of this crazy world that a Christian home can be built around love and respect. How in the world does that happen? The non-Christian sees that, what the Christian is doing. And that's what is impressive. The Lord's response to Peter is, Do not call something unclean that I have made clean. The vision is repeated three times. I like Peter, the character of Peter, because we call him hard-headed a lot of times, but it seems that everything in his life has to go by threes. When he denies Christ, he denies him three times. When Christ says, do you love me? He has to do it three times. And then when this vision comes, it has to be repeated three times. God wanted to be clear of the point that he was making. It wasn't just about food. It's about unclean people. And I think Peter was realizing that. Peter was not to regard certain people as clean or unclean or to be ones to be avoided. See, all Gentiles were considered unclean by the Jewish law. The only way to accept a Gentile into the Jewish understanding and, and part of the Jewish fold was that Gentile had to be circumcised first. Can you imagine that for church growth strategy? I'm not sure they'd get too far. And that's what God was changing here. God is revealing to him that all forgiven sinners are accepted, including Gentiles. The four corners of the sheet probably represented the four corners of the earth or even the four points of the compass. And all the animals that are on this sheet representing then all of the people of this world. Every different person is represented in in his animals. And when Peter says, no, I will never eat, I've never eat something that is unclean, he had to realize that God was calling him to something more. See, Cornelius was ready. Cornelius was ready to accept God and accept Jesus as his Savior and and go through all the steps that that we see fit with that. But Peter, it took a little bit of prompting to get him ready to speak to Cornelius. And sometimes, isn't that the case? There's so many willing listeners out there. Do we have enough people willing to talk to them? Is that the case in our own community? Are there more ears that are ready to listen, but less mouths ready to say? I think that's discouraging. Let's continue on. Verse 17, Peter was very perplexed. What could this vision mean? Just then the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. Standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, Three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them. So Peter went down and said, I'm the man you were looking for. Why have you come? They said, We 
were sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He's a devout and God-fearing man, well-respected by all the Jews. A holy angel instructed him to summon you to his house so that he can hear your message. So Peter invited the man to stay for the night. The next day, he went with them, accompanied by some of the brothers from Joppa. Let's note really how perfectly God's, God worked in Cornelius and Peter's lives here. For while Peter was praying and seeing his vision, the men from Cornelius were approaching the city. While Peter was still perplexed about the meaning he had seen, they arrived at his house. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit told him that the men were looking for him and don't hesitate to go with them. And when Peter went down and introduced himself to him, they explained to him the purpose of their visit. This is all working out perfectly. I mean, we're looking at it, yeah, in hindsight, but in the middle of it, can you imagine the Peter's awe? Whenever he's thinking these things, these men are approaching. He hears them at the gate, and all of this is working together. How can you deny that it's not from God? Peter doesn't. But as he's understanding all this, I believe God was giving him the opportunity to act on his on the vision that he just saw. He sees this vision three times, and he's perplexed about it. He may be starting to get a, get a hold of it, but God says, that's not enough. I want you to do something with it. So he sends him these men. I think uh, the Lord is always trying to place ready listeners with willing believers. And that's what he was making P- Peter, was a willing believer to go out. Peter uh, stepped into the Gentiles' house with a new understanding. As they get there, Cornelius fell at Peter's feet to worship him. But Peter pulls him up and stand up. I'm I'm not the one um, that you should be worshiping. I'm just a human being. He refused to be treated as a god, but by entering this Gentile's house, he refused to treat Cornelius as a dog. Because that's what Jews thought of Gentiles. They were all dogs. He refused to be treated as a god, much less treat them as a dog. I think that shows stretching of Peter being able to walk into this man's house. After Peter teaches about the good news of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they are baptized, Acts 10, 44 through 48. They're the first Gentile converts, and, and really, thank God. But the cool thing about how this goes is just amazing because in Peter's mind, the process to go for a, a Gentile to become a Christian, he had to become a Jew first. He had to be circumcised. Then he could live in this life. But God shows him a different way that while he's giving this message about Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes on them. Well, that was the last thing supposed to happen. Circumcised, become a Jew, become a, baptized, become a Christian, then get the Holy Spirit. God skipped a step. What's going on? And that's why he asked the question of, can anyone object to their being baptized? Verse 47. The Holy Spirit came down on them. Can anyone object to this? Because two men were seeking to follow God. God brought these two men together. He made their, cross, or their paths cross for a purpose. Let's look at a little bit of these two men then. First, it was, part of their, it, was, it was their prayer life by both of these men, Peter and Cornelius, that made them receptive to God's leading. You realize that? Both of them are in prayer when God speaks to them. 
Is your prayer life strong like that? Are you in the life of prayer so much so that when God speaks, you understand it? You're ready because you're already in prayer talking to Him? Second, the vision came. To both men, a different vision. A vision that would bring them together. But for Peter, this vision was a little more. He needed a little more convincing to know that this was right. This was the direction to go. God used this vision to change Peter's attitude. To change his prejudice. God changed Peter in that form. He can change us too. We need to change our hearts and break down the walls of prejudice that are, that are in our hearts. The problem is that we are just selective about those who are willing to, we, are, we are willing to share the gospel with. Just like Peter was in all of the, the early Christians. They were selective of not sending the gospel to the Gentiles. Maybe they'd do it to the Samaritans. We've seen that already, but Samaritans were half-breeds. They were part Jew. So that was okay, but not to the Gentiles as a whole. Do, you, do we look around this world and do we see potential believers everywhere we go? Or do we see people that are just unreachable? Are there co-workers or family members that you've written off as impossible to reach with the kingdom of God? If we are truly trying to follow God, if that is the main focus of our life, He will give us the opportunities to prove it. I believe that's the case, that if we're truly seeking God and trying to live godly lives, God is going to give us the opportunity to prove it. It's more... It's, It's not just about what you say and what you believe. It's about what you're doing with your beliefs. Are you willing to let God change your heart? To break down the prejudice that we have so that the gospel is not hindered? Are you willing to take the gospel of Christ wherever he might be leading? For Peter, it was to the unthinkable, to a Gentile's house. But he did it because he was willing. Are you willing? Are you willing to follow his lead? I hope so. And here in a second, we're having the invitation. And the invitation is a time that we set aside for you to to come clean, to let your, your innermost thoughts and feelings be known. And with that, it is, it is then exposing your life so that God can work with it and showing your willingness for like God to work in your life. If you're in need of that invitation. If you're in need of baptism, we are ready. We are prepared. If you're in need of prayers of this congregation, we will join with you in prayers as we all join together doing the work of the Father. If you have any need of this congregation, please come forward as we stand and sing.